Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast, hosted by Dave Jenkins. The Equipping You in Grace podcast is a podcast about helping Christians develop a biblical worldview in a conversational tone about issues inside and outside the church. Now, for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. All right, guys. Well, welcome back to the Equipping You and Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this show. And as we do when uh, a poll or some sort of research comes out, uh, we're going to talk about it on this show. And let's just talk about that for just a minute. The reason that we talk about these things is because they give us a snapshot a picture into uh, what's happening in the church, what's happening in people's lives. Uh, One of the reasons that I pay attention when these studies come out is because it, 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 well, to be honest, it it gives me ideas, uh, but to do more, to do episodes on and to know what issues are most pressing uh, and, well, all issues when it comes to a biblical worldview are important to speaking, but which issues at the moment I need to be talking about and filling the airwaves with. And so one of the things, this is why uh, I'm doing these more of these types of episodes because, you know, we're, we're living in a time when, uh, well, theological, biblical and theological illiteracy um, are abounding, and I've written a book on biblical illiteracy, trying to help the church, and also um, I'm working on a on my third book, which is on a biblical worldview, and uh, doing the research for that has made me very, very concerned, to say the least. I'll have more to say about that probably next year when the book comes out, but Ligonier's statement of theology is excellent. It is really, really well done. It's one of the best ones out there. And um, they came out with this uh, just a, it'll be a few weeks now, maybe two weeks or so. Um, um, So one of the statements, we're going to just work our way through it. uh, Statement four, uh, they asked people to uh, answer answer the the questions that they asked. So statement four on the Ligonier statement of theology was this. God learns and adapts to different uh, circumstances. Um, They surveyed a wide swath of people. 51% agree and 32% disagree. And so they comment on this. The survey, the, the Ligonier statement, a theology says this, despite the clear teaching of Scripture, this year's survey reveals approximately half of evangelicals believe that God learns and, and adapts to various situations, meaning that they believe that God does change. So I'm going to read the next uh, statement, and then I'll comment on both of those. Uh, statement four, God learns and adapts to different circumstances. U.S. evangelical finding 48% agree 43% disagree. 
Ligonier Statement of Theology says this, These results show that American evangelicals and the general U.S. population are essentially equivalent in their agreement with this statement. Nearly half of both groups believe that God changes by learning and adapting. And so this may indicate the influence of open theism, which denies, we're going to talk about this here in a minute, which denies God's complete knowledge of future events and process theology, which we're also going to talk about here in just a second, which denies God's omnipotence and asserts that he does undergo changes within the evangelical church. This finding, they say, may also indicate a lack of clear biblical teaching on the character of God in evangelical churches. Well, as I do, I think that it's important uh, to define what uh, open theism is and then what process theology is. And so we'll start with open theism. Open theism is, is also known as openness theology, the openness of God, and free will theism. It's an attempt, um, not a legitimate attempt, but it is an attempt to explain the foreknowledge of God in relationship to the free will of man. The argument of open theism is essentially this. Human beings are born free. So if God knew the future, human beings could not be truly free. And therefore, God does not know absolutely everything about the future. Open theism holds that the future is not knowable. And so to them, God knows uh, everything that could be known, but he does not know the future. The open theists, they base their beliefs on scripture passages which describe God's changing his mind, being surprised, or seeming to gain knowledge. In light of the many other passages that declare God's foreknowledge of the future, these scriptures should be understood as God describing himself in ways that we can understand. God knows what our actions are and our decisions will be, but he changes his mind in regard to his actions based on our actions. God's disappointment at the wickedness of humanity does not mean that he was not aware it would occur. Well, in contradiction to that view, to open theism, Psalm 139, 4, and 16 state, Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. All the days are all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. So how, how could God predict intricate details in the Old Testament about Jesus Christ if he doesn't know the future? How could... God, in any manner, guarantee our eternal salvation, we must ask, if he does not know what the future holds. Well, ultimately, open theism fails in that it attempts to explain the unexplainable, the relationship between God's foreknowledge and man's free will. You know, we have to understand that there is a tension. There is a tension between God's uh, the electing work of God and the free will of man. This view is known as compatibilism. It's a both and in in the Bible. Uh, maybe we'll we'll talk about that in the future. But we God must be understood through faith. Hebrews eleven six says, "For without faith it is impossible to please God." And so we can say conclusively that open theism is not scriptural on that basis. It's another way for finite man to understand an infinite God. 
open theism should be rejected by ever every every single bible believing christian should reject open theism and while open theism is a is an explanation for the relationship between god's foreknowledge and human will it's not a biblical explanation it's not a faithful orthodox position now i said that i would talk about process theology process theology is based on the philosophy that only uh, the only absolute which exists in the world is change. And therefore, God, too, is constantly changing. The Bible asserts that process theology is false. Isaiah 46.10 is, is unequivocal regarding God's sovereignty and his unchanging nature. Saying this, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, is equally unchanging. Hebrews 13.8 says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Bible is clear that his plans do not change according to the whims of mere men in Psalm 33.11. Uh, James 1.17 says that the Lord does not change like shifting shadows. But process theology does not consider the Bible to be inspired or are a final authority. The Bible expresses many attributes, qualities, and characteristics of God. These include the holiness of God, the sovereignty of God, the unity of God, the omnipresence of God, the omniscience of God, the omnipotence of God, the self-existence of God, the eternality of God, the immutability of God, the perfection of God, the infinite of God, the truthfulness of God, the love of God, the righteousness of God, the faithfulness of God, the mercy of God, uh, the graciousness of God, the justice of God, the freedom of God, and all of these things God used in the world and actively exercises all of these today. And so God transcends all of his creation, and yet the Lord, we must say, is personal. He is knowable. While process theology, it also denies the person and the work of Jesus Christ, stating that Jesus has no intrinsic difference from any other man. Additionally, the humanistic philosophy of process theology teaches that mankind does not require salvation. While scripture is crystal clear that without Christ, man is hopelessly lost and doomed to hell for eternity. Scripture teaches that Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man, and that without his death on behalf of sinners and dying and rising, no one could ever be saved. Well, continuing on, there's a lot to cover in this particular study, so we're going to march right on. Uh, the, there was another question. Um, question statement 15. But Ligonier before this asked the question, are we born innocent? That was the question. When God created the world, the Ligonier Statement of Theology uh, states, everything he made was good. And yet through Adam's rebellion, Adam and Eve's rebellion, in the Garden of Eden, uh, humanity became corrupt. The Bible teaches the concept of original sin, which means that since the fall, every human being inherits a sin nature from the time of their conception. In other words, we are not sinners because we sin. Rather, we sin because we're sinners. Another way to state this is we are sinners by nature and by choice and need of the redemption that Christ alone can offer to us. So statement 15 of the Ligonier Statement of Theology says this, Everyone is born innocent in the eyes of God. 
Now, 71% of U.S. adults agree with that. 21% disagree with that. And it's unsurprising today, the Ligonier Statement on Theology says, that most U.S. adults believe that humans are born innocent given the influence of humanistic philosophies and worldviews that teach self-determinism and a view of humanity as basically good. I mean, is it any surprise all one has to go do? And if you really want to, you can. Go look at what the Evangelical Christian Publishers Association list of top books are every year. Go look at those books. They are, by and large, self-help, feel-good, prosperity gospel, nonsense, drivel. They're not even worth reading, okay? They're not solid in their theology. They, they don't help you to grow in the Bible. They don't help you to grow in the grace of God, revealed in the Word of God. They, they do the opposite. They take you away from God. And so this stat doesn't surprise me, especially because of where we are at in our time. We have such a low view of God that this stat doesn't, uh, an unbiblical view of God in the church today, we, at this, and, and when you have a low view of God, you're going to have a low view of sin. And now we're going to talk about the church. What, the the Ligonier statement, that same statement, statement, now statement 15, asked, everyone is born innocent in the eyes of God. And now U.S. evangelicals, 65% agree, 32% disagree. Now, the fact that almost two-thirds of evangelicals, the Ligonier Statement on Theology says, believe that humans are born in a state of innocence reveals that the biblical teaching of original sin is not embraced by most evangelicals today. But God's word in Ephesians 2-3 makes clear that all human, humans are by nature children of wrath. This truth is foundational for an accurate understanding of the gospel and our absolute need for the grace of God in salvation. And, and not only this, uh, we, we see this uh, in the whole discussion that's happening around that we're going to enter here soon, talking about Adam as a real person in real history. Well, friends, if you don't have a literal Adam who lived in real history, I mean, you you just ripped out you just ripped out a large portion of of Genesis, uh, of the Gospels, and of the Epistles. I mean, I'll I'll say it this way: without a literal Adam who lived in real history, you can't have a real Savior who paid the penalty in our place for our sin. In fact, I'll even go one step further: you can't understand who you are as a human being without that. Without Adam as a literal person. You can, and then you can't understand sin. You can't understand the person and the work of Christ, the second Adam. You can't understand, uh, you have to take out passages like Ephesians 5 uh, that, that talk about uh, the importance of the church and Jesus Christ being the head over the church every time. Um, and so, and you, you end up, you have to take out 1 Corinthians 15, which talks about Adam uh or Christ being the second Adam. And so when you when you go down this road, you're minimizing the Bible. Now there are there are people that are doing this. This isn't this isn't uh something that I'm that I'm even making up. 
There's a whole concerted movement in the church today to do away with Adam as a real person who, who really lived in real history. And what that does is it absolutely undermines the whole storyline of the Bible. And, it, and, it, and so this stat, again, doesn't surprise me for that exact reason. Just to make it a little, take it a little bit further than what the statement said. Well, one of the next questions moving right along was, does church membership matter? Now, they, they, uh, I'll read this from the Ligonier Statement of Theology. They said this, Jesus says in Matthew 6, 18, I will build my church. But what is the church? Biblically speaking, they say the church consists of those whom God has called out of the world and drawn to himself through Christ. The universal church, which consists of every person, past, present, and future, whom God calls to himself, is expressed tangibly through local church bodies that extend around the world. Statement 24 says this, of the Ligonier Statement on Theology. They say this, Every Christian has an obligation to join a local church. U.S. Adult Finding says this, 36% agree and 56% disagree. For much of American history, the Ligonier Statement of Theology says, the influence of Christianity resulted in a high rate of church attendance and church membership was normative, meaning that everybody was doing it. And increasing secularization in the United States has led to more Americans identifying as non-religious or none. In addition, the entrenched cultural value of individualism makes it unsurprising that most Americans deem church membership as optional for Christians. Now, let's talk about what um, the U.S. evangelical findings tell us. Same question, question 20, statement 24. Every Christian has an obligation to join a local church. Now, 68% of U.S. evangelicals agree and 26% disagree. Okay, well, the Bible, if you look at Paul's epistles, for example, they all open with a very clear call to churches gathering together under biblically qualified male pastors and elders. That's why Paul writes his letters. For example, even Corinthians, he calls them saints. Almost every single time in, at the opening of almost every single Pauline epistle, Paul's epistles, he's talking to them, referring to them as saints. So the Bible clearly teaches that those who claim to follow Christ will join a local body of believers. And so we might be surprised that only 68% of evangelicals view church membership as necessary. This may indicate the influence, the Ligonier Statement says, of an individualistic worldview within the church, as well as the challenges posed by the COVID pandemic and the ever-increasing access to various uh, church services via the internet. Now, I want to talk about something really quick, and we'll expand this conversation about church membership. But um, one resource that you can find on Servants of Grace under, if you go to Publications and you click on, pub, uh, yeah, go to Publications on the menu of ServantsofGrace.org, and you scroll, uh, scroll down to Theology for Life, click that page, and then you'll find the various issues. And one of the issues of Theology for Life is on what is church membership and why does it matter to me. 
this, we cover why we as Christians from the Bible, from solid theology, we talk about what church membership is. You see, over 50 times, now I'll say this, now 50 times in the New Testament or so, maybe a little more, we're told to one another, Galatians 6.1, bear each other's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? Well, Jesus says in Matthew 22, 37 through 40, that we are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our mind, and with all of our soul, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Okay? And where else are we under biblically qualified male elders? Not only that, but how else are we supposed to engage in the sacraments? The only way and, and gather together. We need to be gathering together in the local church, not to mention in Hebrews uh, 10, uh, we're told very clearly to not forsake the gathering of the, the assembly of brothers and sisters. And this, this, these 51 and other passages, my point is, fill out our understanding of what a church member is and what they look like. Now, I understand that some people are hurt by the church, and I definitely understand that. We'll, we'll talk about that um, another time. But the thing is, is as a Christian, we need to be under, we need to be under the word. We need to be being shaped by the word with other brothers and sisters. And there's plenty, plenty of passages about this. Okay. It's not even a, it's not even a matter of if, if it's not clear, it's actually very crystal clear about the fact that we are to do life with one another. Uh, J.I. Packer, that great theologian, said that the normal Christian life is lived within the local church. You see, I have a great need of Christ, and a great Christ for my need, as Spurgeon said, but we can also say we have a great need because of God's grace for one another. We need one another to encourage each other, to, um, to, to, to sit under the preached word of God verse by verse, to do life with one another by the word. Uh, we, we need the accountability. We need the fellowship. We need the support. We need the encouragement and on and on and on. And, and yet we're living in a time because of what I was talking about earlier about even, even the state of uh, Christian publishing and, and the, 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 the most significant books out there supposedly and how they have issues. They're all about me. They're all about my happiness. Now, when I was in seminary about a decade ago, I had many, many people come up to me at a coffee shop and said, oh, uh, why, why do you have all those theology books out? What, do you, what, are you, what are you studying? Oh, I'm studying for such and such class in seminary and so on and so forth. And I'm also in ministry and on and on. And Well, you know, that's interesting because we're having a Bible study right over here and this is where we meet every week and this is my church. And I, and I, and I would just have to say, hey, can we talk about that for just a minute? And a few minutes turned into, you know, 30 minutes or so. And, and we, had a, we had a productive conversation. But one of the things I would say to them, I would say, you know, brother or, or sister, look, that is a great thing that you're doing. You're having Bible study with a friend. But let's be clear about something. That's not a church, okay? Uh, meeting at Starbucks is not meeting under biblically qualified pastors, meeting with your pastor at Starbucks, meeting with your pastor at a coffee shop. Great, productive, fellowship, time in the word together, talking about the things of the Lord, fellowshipping with one another. Fantastic. But meeting at Starbucks or a coffee shop is not. 
a local church. It is not where uh, we are to gather uh, under the word and to do life with one another. And not to mention, there are no biblically qualified pastors at Starbucks. There's no church service happening at Starbucks. So that is not a local church, period. A local church is, is where the word is preached, among other things, uh, by a biblically qualified male pastor and where the sacraments are being administered by that pastor or pastors and where we hear the word preached and we do life with one another and on and on and on. And so we could we could talk about that. Uh, I, I spend uh, quite a bit of time, my first book, talking about doing life with one another. So we could uh, we could spend the rest of our time uh, talking about that. But there's also more. Uh, uh, to this statement, uh, the statement of theology. Uh, they say this, the state of theology survey has been conducted every two years since our first U.S. survey in 2014. Survey results over the, over the past eight years reveal that Americans increasingly reject the Bible's divine origin and more readily embrace sexual behavior that is condemned in Scripture. They say this, that U.S. adults increasingly reject the divine authorship of the Bible, relegating it to the same category as other religious writing and sacred texts. This view makes it easy for individuals to accept biblical teaching that they resonate with while simultaneously rejecting any biblical teaching that is out of step with their own personal views or broader cultural values. Now let's stop here. Stop here for just a second. This is because of the view called relativism. It's my truth, and so I'm going to live by it. You have your truth, so you live by that. And so what it does is it subjectifies truth. This is why one reason, before we continue on with this, the state of theology, this is one reason why we've been talking on this show so much about the Bible and why we're going to continue to talk about the Bible because it is absolutely under attack, and we need to understand that the Bible has good answers uh, to respond to all these things. And not only that, the church has responded. So now back to the statement of theology, which says this, that the Bible, however, is a unified message from the one true God. As such, it is to be embraced in all of its fullness as God's perfect revelation to humanity. We, we must conform our lives to Scripture rather than twist Scripture to suit our lives, it says. And since uh, this is the clearest and the most consistent trend revealed by the state of theology since it began in 2014. This is also why, this is not in the statement of theology, but this is also why, friends, I wrote my second book, The Word Matters, Defending uh, the Bible Against the Spirit of the Age, to help address this issue and to help the average person in the pew understand how the Bible is under attack and what Scripture teaches and how the churches respond. Now, Back to statement 16, which says this of the, the, the Ligonier Statement of Theology. The Bible, like all sacred writings, contained helpful accounts of ancient myths, but is not literally true. U.S. adults say this. In 2014, 41% agreed with that. 2016, 44% agree. 2018, 47% agree. Uh, 2020, 48% agree. 2022, 53% agree. Okay? Uh, the Bible, though, reveals to us the statement of theology, God's purposes and requirements for 
human relationships and sexuality. God created humans as male and female. He instituted marriage as as a covenant relationship between one biological man and one biological woman as the only appropriate place for sexual activity. Despite uh, Scripture's clear teaching on God's will for human identity and sexual ethics, uh, you know, uh, U.S. adults increasingly affirm the right of an individual to choose his or her gender identity despite one's biological sex. The surveys from 2016 to 2020 showed uh, this view holding steady, but in the 2020 survey or the 2022 survey reveals that it's gaining traction. So statement 27 of the Ligonier Statement of Theology says this. 2016, 38% agree that gender identity is a matter of choice. 2018, 38% agree with that statement. 2020, 38% agree. 2022, 42% agree with that statement. Many more uh, Americans take the view that the Bible's command against homosexuality are no longer applicable in society today. While there's been some variability, 2022 reveals an overall increasing secular trend over the years. Statement 28 says the Bible's condemnation of homosexual behavior doesn't apply today. In 2016, 42% agree. 2018, 44% agree. Uh, 2020, 40% agree. 2022, 46% of people agree. Well, let me let me just say something about that and then we'll move on because there's more to this. The Bible's the Bible is clear not only that homosexual sin is is against is a violation of the marriage relationship between one biological man and one biological woman for life under God uh in marriage, but uh the Bible is also against cohabitation between uh, a one man and one woman or any other number or variant or whatever thing. And the Bible is also against gender pronouns. Uh, there is a lot, and we've talked about this already on this show, there is a lot, there is an agenda, a satanic, demonic agenda that wants to do harm to our children. And we're going to keep talking about that because we need to destroy, as second uh Second Corinthians ten five says we're to destroy arguments that uphold that raise themselves against the knowledge of God, and so we're going to do that. We're going to do it in a loving way. We're going to do it in a truthful way. Uh, we're going to do it in a Jude three way to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. We're going to do it in a First Peter two three or First Peter three fifteen way to give an answer for the reason for the hope that we have, and to do it with gentleness and respect. But we need to give an answer t- today. We need to speak up. And we need to be explicitly clear about why we're speaking up. And we need to, when we're speaking, we need to speak truthfully. And we need to also uh, be mindful of the methodology, the, the way in which we're communicating. The Bible is crystal clear, as we've talked about on this show this year, about that. And so we need to be clear that we don't compromise the truth of the Bible on any kind of sexual sin. But... That doesn't mean that we blast the Bible at people who are engaged in sexual sin. No, we speak the truth motivated by love as we're commanded to in Ephesians 4.15, which, by the way, I'll say this again. 
that pa- that passage to love one of the, at the very head of the fruits of the spirit those things that the holy spirit is producing in you at the head of that list in galatians 5:22 through 23 is love love and you go look at how many times love is mentioned when we're speaking just one ephesians 4:15 speak the truth in love remember that Speak the truth in love and remember what the Holy Spirit is producing in you, among other things, is a love for the truth of God's word. And one of the fruits of that is you're going to want and desire to speak the truth in love because you love the Lord and you're loving your neighbor. Anyways, we could spend a lot of time talking about that and we when we have. So you can go back into, I would just say, if you want to know more about that, uh, you're curious about that, what that looks like, go back and look at uh, future episodes, and um, it's it's all over the place. We talk about it a lot on this show. Okay, so continuing on with this survey. The 2022 survey results for U.S. evangelicals reveal concerning trends, they say, related to the exclusivity and the deity of Jesus Christ. The historicity and divine nature of Scripture objective truth, gender identity, homosexuality at the same time. There's some encouraging trends inside include evangelicals increasingly biblical views on abortion and sex outside marriage. So let's start with God. They say key to Orthodox Christianity is Jesus' own assertion that he alone is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him. John 14, 6. Trends over time in the 2022 surveys reveal an increasingly unbiblical belief among evangelicals that God's pleased by worship that comes from those outside the Christian faith. Statement three, God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. U.S. Evangelicals findings, 2016, 48% agree with that. 2018, 51% agree. 2020, 42% agree. 2022, 56% agree. This year's survey, they say, also revealed a significant increase in evangelicals who denied Jesus' divinity. Such a belief is contrary to Scripture, which affirms from the beginning to the end that Jesus is indeed God. Here's the truth. Embracing the reality of objective truth, it's necessary to a right and a proper understanding of the world. Scripture affirms that God is truth, and because the Bible is his word, Scripture is truth. And despite the testimony of Scripture, evangelicals, a statement of theology says, increasingly believe that the Bible is not literally true. Statement 16 of the Ligonier Statement says this, The Bible, like all sacred writings, contains helpful accounts of ancient myths, but is not literally true. 2016, 17% agree. 2018, 23% agree. 2020, 15% agree. 2022, 26% of people uh, agree. Okay, Gallup recently also, as we talked about, they told us that the fairy tale and the myth option among Christians today is alive and well. Now, we, we have talked and talked and talked about the sufficiency of Scripture, how Scripture is for our faith, but it's also for our practice. And what this shows among U.S. evangelicals is that even people that are Christians, they might believe that the Bible is true in, insofar as it is, 
But when it comes to the practice, no. But now we're not even talking about practice. With this, we're talking about it's for our faith. Well, the only way that God has specifically revealed himself is in the Bible. And so this statement really, really, um, it's really, really telling. Um, and we can see that uh, we can see that this this statement shows that, you know what? Like we've been talking about, it, a relativism is alive and well in the church. It's the belief that, you know what? You have your truth about whatever topic you have from the Bible. And you know what? I'm going to read the Bible in my own way because it's not literally true. And so why, why even believe it? Why even read it? The Bible claims to be the truth coming from God. It tells us about the I am God. Exodus 3.14, I am who I am. God says, this is how I am known. He's known because he's revealed himself in the Bible. And the only way to know God, to, the only way to know the truth is to, is to read it and to know it as it's been revealed in the word of God. And so Ligonier's statement of theology continues. They say a rising disbelief in the Bible's literal truth may help us understand why American evangelicals also increasingly believe that religious faith is a subjective experience rather than an objective reality. That's what I'm talking about. And they, they say that they say this, that the, sta the statement of theology says religious belief is a matter of personal opinion. It's not about objective truth. To that, U.S. evangelicals in 2018 said 32% agreed with that. In 2020, 23% agreed with it. In 2022, 38% agreed with that. Let's talk about, uh, move along and talk about the sexual ethics part of this. The, the changes in sexual ethics in the United States are occurring at an even alarming rate, but one encouraging finding is that evangelicals affirm the statement of theology says a biblical view of fornication and adultery in greater numbers. Statement 25 of the, the, the statement of theology says sex outside of traditional marriage is sin. U.S. Evangelicals in 2016, 91% agreed. 2018, 89% agreed. 2020, 90% agreed. 94% of people agree with that. Okay, great. That's a that's a theological uh, that's a theological statement. Uh, it's for you know our faith because it's revealed in the Bible. Great, fantastic. Uh, the Ligonier statement on theology continues saying while evangelicals are more than likely u.s adults in general to affirm a biblical sexual ethic in the areas of gender identity and homosexuality a significant rise of an humble unbiblical worldview is apparent especially in the 2022 survey now remember i said that the bible is uh, the sufficiency of scripture means that the bible is for our faith and for our practice Keep that in the back of your mind as I read this uh, statement, 27. Gender identity is a matter of choice. U.S. evangelicals here. 2016, 32% agree with that. 2018, 30% agree. 2020, 22% agree. 2022, 37% of people agree. Okay. The rise of unbiblical views among American evangelicals on the subject of gender and sexuality indicates the influence of a secular inner, a worldview that is making greater and greater inroads in the church. They believe that the Bible is true. It's, it's for our faith. But then in practice, 
Nope, they don't believe it. They don't believe it. That's for our practice. I'll just live how I'll believe it for my faith, but it's not going to impact my life. Statement 28 gets it shows us even more. U.S. Evangelicals 2016, 90% agree. Uh, 2018, 20% agree. 2020, 11% agree. 28% agree that the Bible's condemnation of sexual homosexual behavior doesn't apply today. Well, friends, it does. It's 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 still the word of God. It's still the truth. Uh, the God didn't change his meaning. He did not change his mind, as we as we already talked about. And let's continue talking about now abortion. The Bible teaches the personhood of those in the womb. As such, a practice of abortion is the murder of a human being who is an image bearer of God. Past survey results, the Ligonier statement says this among evangelicals have remained fairly consistent since 2016. With an uptick in 2022 of more evangelicals asserting that abortion is sin. And while the reasons for this positive trend are unknown, it's encouraging to see more evangelicals affirming the personhood of human beings in the womb. Statement 26 says abortion is sin. Now keep in mind, these are U.S. evangelicals. Abortion is is sin. U.S. evangelicals, 2016, say 87% agree. 2018, 88% agree. 88% agree in 2020. 2022, 91% of people uh, agree. Evangelicals were defined by Lifeway Research as people who strongly agreed with the following four statements. The Bible is the highest authority for what I believe. It is very important for me personally to encourage non-Christians to trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. Jesus Christ's death on the cross is the only sacrifice that could remove the penalty of my sin. And only those who trust in Jesus Christ alone as their Savior receive God's free gift of eternal salvation. Respondents uh, can also be identified as evangelical in the state of theology based on their supplied church uh, affiliation. Now, they've, they conclude this saying this about the statement, the state of theology for 2022. It reveals that Americans increasingly reject the divine origin and the complete accuracy of the Bible. With no enduring plumb line of absolute truth to conform to, U.S. adults are also increasingly holding to unbiblical worldviews related to human sexuality. In the evangelical sphere, they say doctrines including the deity and the exclusivity of Jesus Christ as well as the inspiration and authority of the Bible, are increasingly being rejected. While positive trends are present, including evangelicals' views on abortion and sex outside marriage, an inconsistent biblical ethic is also evident. With more evangelicals embracing a secular worldview in the areas of homosexuality and gender identity, these results convey the ongoing need for the church, they say, to be engaged in apologetics helping unbelievers by providing a well-reasoned defense of the Christian faith and helping believers by strengthening their clarity and their conviction why they believe what they do. Additionally, the people of God must continue to obey the Great Commission by communicating the whole counsel of God in biblical evangelism and discipleship. The need is great, but the power and the promises of God can equip the church to bring truth and light to a deceived and a dark world. Well, friends, I know we're right now at 43 minutes in. I want to conclude this episode by saying a few things here to wrap it up. And what I want to say now is this. The problems that we're facing today, they're absolutely solvable. The, The Bible has good answers 
to the issues of the day on gender and sexuality, that the church has good answers on these issues. We are not left without a witness. On this show, guess what? You know what? We're living even at a time when many, even of the best podcasts, they're moving away from biblical truth. They're, they're, or they might be grounded in biblical truth, but they're no longer trying to even bother speaking the truth in love. I'm going to tell you something. On this podcast, we are going to, absol- and at Servants of Grace, we are absolutely going to stand on the whole word of God without apology, without compromise, in, in, in articles, in podcasts, in our magazine. And whenever I have the opportunity to go on an interview, I am absolutely going to stand on the truth of God's word and to say what it says and explain what it means and why it matters for our lives. We're going to keep doing that. We've been doing this for 22 years now. By God's grace, we're going to do it for another 22 years. And maybe even, uh, you know, I won't probably, I won't be here Uh, But, you know, 50 years from now, we're going to keep doing it by God's grace, you know. But here's the thing. We're living in a time where we must be clear about what we believe and why it matters. This is why I wrote my second book. I know I've been talking about it a lot lately, but I want to encourage you to pick it up. This isn't a marketing ploy. My heart in sharing about this is to help you to understand not only what the Bible is, that it is the truth, but also how the church has talked about the Bible and then how the church has responded to attacks on marriage. That's in my book. On sexuality, it's in my book. From the Word of God, from the church. So I want to encourage you to pick up the Word Matters. But here's here's the big thing that I want more than any any of that is i want you dear christian i want you to get in the bible yourself to read it to study it to meditate on it to memorize to apply it to do life with god's people every sunday and get in a small group so that you can do life with others with god's people you you need it i need it everyone needs it in the church We need one another. We have an authoritative word in the Bible, the word of God, that we can stand on, that we can preach. And dear Christian, we need to be preaching. We need to be teaching. As the the survey said, we have a great need uh, to speak up. We need to be speaking on biblical worldview issues. We have people today in our churches that think they might have the right belief, but they don't think that, That belief leads to action. And guess what? Everything in the Bible is for our good. It's for, as Peter said in in 2 Peter, it's for our life and it's for for life and godliness. It's for our faith. It's for our practice. And it's binding on our lives. See, God cares not only, let's be clear, and we'll wrap it up. God not only cares that you believe rightly, that your belief and your theology is grounded in Scripture and a good theology, but also he cares that you take that theology and that it impacts and you're being formed 
It's being formed and shaped in your life so that you'll grow in godly character. The Bible is very clear about that. You don't believe me? Go read Colossians 3 and uh, Ephesians 4, Galatians 5. I mean, it's literally all over the place, okay? So, guys, let's be people that are reading our Bibles. Let's be people that are studying the Bible. Let's be people that are memorizing the Bible and meditating on it and applying it to our lives so that we ourselves can grow in godliness. And let's be practicing. Let's be practicing the Bible. Let's let's not only just talk a good game. Let's not only be shaped by the Bible, but let us take it and put it into our lives. We're living in a time when that in and of itself is very, very countercultural. But let's do that. And, and as we do, you're going to have opportunities. People are going to come to you, as 1 Peter 3.15 says, to ask a reason for the hope that you have. Why are you doing that? Why do you believe that? Why is your life so much different? And we can point them back to the sufficient word of God. And from the sufficient word of God, we can point them to a sufficient Savior in all of Scripture who wants to impact all of our lives. Well, friends, I want to thank you for listening or watching this episode of the Equipping and Grace podcast. There is a lot that I could have said about all of this. It was a lot to go through, even in the 50 minutes, uh, 49, 50 minutes of this episode. So if you think that I didn't cover something, it, it wasn't intentional. Uh, there, there's just only so many things that uh, can be said uh, in, in a short amount of time on such a large statement. And I didn't even get to the whole thing, but I wanted to touch on a few things that, that were important in the statement. So I hope that you found this episode to be helpful for your life and ministry and may God bless you and keep you. And oh, one last thing, please tell your friends about this show. If you uh, enjoy it, we're on all the podcast catchers. All right, guys, until next Monday and Wednesday, may God bless you and keep you. Thank you for listening to the Equipping You and Grace podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate us on the app, and share this with your friends and family on social media. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at Servants of Grace, on Instagram at Servants of Grace, or by searching at Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this episode and many others like it on the front page of our website, servantsofgrace.org.